and all of those in virtual land. And uh, it's nice to see the three-dimensional people here and you two-dimensional people can enjoy me in two dimensions as I enjoy you in two dimensions. And thank you, Tasso, for reminding us about our... Um, what are we calling it? Contact list. I had to go to um, the service of New South Wales on Thursday. New South Wales Service Centre on Thursday to renew my licence and uh, I was really encouraged, number one, after quite a few years of driving, uh, I'm allowed to drive without glasses. The guy said, could you read the first line? And I said, yes, and the second and the third. He said, oh, go over there. <laughs> so it was done. And then I said to the girl, what do I do about my photo? And she said, oh, that's okay. We've got a digital one from your last licence ten years ago. So I'm going to be, in the famous words of that song, forever young. Let's come to this part of Luke. Last uh, few weeks we've been challenged by God's words as to how we are to live in community together. And now we're challenged once again to reflect and to respond. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the rain we hear outside. It reminds us that you pour out many blessings to us. When the earth is parched, you refresh it. And from that, you bring food that sustains us. But Father, we pray now that you'll pour out your spirit on us, that we'll have a greater understanding of this part of your word. And more than that, Father, your spirit will continue to use it to transform us more into the likeness of Jesus. Amen. Well, look, if we uh, reconsider the context of Luke 11, and that's why we read the first part as well from last week, because this is two parts to praying. Jesus has been praying to his disciples, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, this initiative comes from the disciples themselves, and it may be, uh, made me wonder uh, what was their routine worship like. They clearly wanted instructions from Jesus, and they resonated with the Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples who obviously had some instruction from him about prayer. They wanted instructions from their teacher as well. But I did wonder, what was their prayer life like before that? Maybe it wasn't part of their routine of worship or maybe it was just dry and useless. But they must have seen something special in the way Jesus had been praying. Presumably the depth of it the regularity of it. Last week we looked at the architecture of prayer or the structure. We looked at the vertical aspect as we relate to God and the horizontal as we relate to each other, as we consider our needs and the needs of people around us. And James took us, James took us through that thoughtfully last week. This week we're going to consider the next part of the instruction about prayer the attitude we have when we pray. So the two parts are a bit like a prayer manual, but it's not a how-to in the sense of mechanics. It's not about kneeling or sitting, standing, eyes open, eyes closed, time of day. Those things actually don't matter. Jesus is concerned about the structure of how we pray, but also our attitude when we come to God in prayer. How do we approach a holy God who created everything? 
knows everything. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. To me, it's absolutely amazing. It's extraordinary that we can even consider talking with him. Jesus goes on to explain how we approach God by way of a story, a parable, as he so often does when he wants to tell us about an important truth. And it's fitted in this Middle Eastern situation which uh, would have been familiar to his disciples. There are three friends in the story, one friend who's been travelling, one friend who has woken in the middle of the night to provide food and sustenance, and another friend who's lying in bed with his whole family at two o'clock in the morning and there's a thumping on the door. So the one friend who'd been travelling arrived late at night because he's probably travelling in that part of the world in the cooler hours. And he just arrived at his friend's home and this was well after sunset. His friend on receiving him is desperate to show the hospitality which was expected in that culture. And the hospitality was to offer food. This would have been a necessity in that culture. No question about it. And I have no doubt that the traveller arriving probably was hungry and thirsty. But unfortunately for him, and ultimately for his host, there was apparently no food in the house. They didn't have a fridge, they didn't have a freezer, and the local Colesworth supermarket closed at six. So the host probably said something to himself, well, what am I to do? I know. I'll visit Fred next door. I know the guy's asleep, but this is an urgent situation. I've got to be generous and I don't want to lose face with my friend after his long journey. Now, we've got to also remember in that time and in that culture, the whole family lived in one room and they slept on one bed. I find it hard to imagine how uncomfortable it must have been, but I've got some resonance when you remember, and some of you are still going through this, when you remember your kids crawling into bed with you. They wriggle and they squirm and amazingly, they're this big, but they take up that much room of the bed. Um, I won't tell all the stories about our boys, but I can, I can share about Amelia. Yeah, Amelia toddles into bed. Papa, are you awake? Well, I am now. Hops into bed, wriggles around, and by the morning, I'm sleeping on that much. Angela has that much. And Eloise has that much. So it was probably quite uncomfortable. Um, and in this story, we've got to remember it's the whole household have gone to bed in the one bed and they've probably gone at sunset. They didn't have electricity. They probably had a few oil lamps, but uh, that wouldn't have given much light. So this worried neighbour bangs on the door in desperation at midnight or later, waking his friend and undoubtedly the whole household. The sleepy neighbour probably is thinking, what can this be about? He's jolted awake. Can't be a burglar. It's not the police. There were no sirens and blue lights. Oh, there's my friend at the door. What? He wants some loaves of bread. At midnight? Go away. The house is locked up for the night. I'm lying here in bed with my family who are all asleep. I must say, in reality, they're probably all woken up at the same time. Go away. Don't bother me. He's probably thinking this is a pretty trivial request to be disturbed with in the middle of the night. But his friend's desperate to help the traveller who's hungry after his journey. And this, this host, this friend, is not discouraged from asking, so he persists in his requests. He keeps banging on the door. 
I think the interesting thing is you read into this story, he keeps banging on the door because not only is he pleading for bread, but he has an expectation of a positive response. Possibly thinking, I'll wear him down. But he must have known there was bread in the house. But I also reflect on the fact he's persisting not just for himself, but he wanted to gain something for a needy person, his friend. I'm sure there was an issue of not wanting to have any reputational damage and he probably wanted to minimise that too. But Jesus said this is the sort of persistence that paid off or pays off. The grumpy neighbour eventually responds to his audacious persistence. The sleepy friend gets out of bed and gives him as much as he needs. You hear that? He gives him as much as he needs. He doesn't chuck out a few slices of bread that's going off. He gives him as much as he needs. How much did he need? Three loaves. He gets three loaves. He doesn't deny the request, but he generally fulfills the need. And interestingly, he doesn't do it for friendship. He says, go away. (laughs) He actually wanted to be left alone to get back to sleep. Now, let's just recap this situation. Why did the neighbour trouble his friend in the middle of the night? Because he knew his friend asleep would provide what he needed. Why did the sleepy neighbour give loaves? It wasn't because he was feeling particularly generous to his needy neighbour. Jesus makes it clear in the story that the loaves were given because of the shameless persistence of his neighbour. The story is about our attitude in prayer. And Jesus goes on to explain how God responds. And God is not the grumpy, sleepy neighbour. But we'll look at God's response a little bit later. So what should be our attitude in prayer? Persistence. The ESV in verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. The NIV translates that as not impudence or persistence, but shameless audacity. The older version of the NIV used the word persistence. The King James Version uses the word importunity, which means persistence, but to the point of annoyance. And the Christian Standard Bible uses the word shameless boldness. So you're probably getting a sense of what this word means. This is not just knocking on the door until he answers. This is really going at it. You're going to wear this guy down with your boldness. I do like the shameless boldness. Importunity kind of, if you want to sound terribly intellectual, you can probably use importunity. And then you'll have to define it. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar and this word persistence in verse verse 8 is hard to translate. As you've probably realised, there's a sense coming through. But the word clearly has this idea of boldness, persistence, impudence, shamelessness, importunity, if you like. Um, It means a demand, but it's annoying. The meaning is clear. This host is going to badger his friend until he gets what he's requesting. Keller, in one of the uh, uh, references that uh, James gave me kindly last week, uses the phrase, bother God. I love it, bother God. We've heard about bothering God in the Old Testament. We know David bothered God, Jacob bothered God, Nehemiah bothered God. A lot of people in the Old Testament bothered God. Bother. The word has a sense of being a nuisance. Keep going until your friend grants your request. 
So I think you get this sense of the word, don't you now? Well, I hope so. Dogged, persistent, badgering and petitioning. Jesus is encouraging our persistence in prayer because persistence in prayer works. We need to pray with the courage that Jesus taught us. And we can be confident if we pray in this way. And I don't mean praying the kind of rote architecture of the Lord's Prayer. That was a structure, the bones of how we can pray. But to pray reflecting on God's holiness and goodness. And then we will receive. Receive. How does God respond? Well, the host gets the loaves because of persistence from his sleepy neighbour. But Jesus goes on to explain that God responds differently. God's not the grumpy friend woken in the middle of the night and then pestered until he gives in. God gives graciously and lovingly. If we look at the next part of this um, chapter, uh, so verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. And there's a clear response. You ask, you will be given, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. So Jesus is outlining a model for prayer and an approach to God with our prayers. And I read a nice comment in one of the commentaries James kindly lent me. Prayer works as you work at prayer. Love it. Prayer works as you work at prayer. Write it on something and stick it on your computer or use it as your background. Jesus is outlining a model for prayer, one that we should take notice of. Jesus himself, we know, slipped off many times during his ministry to pray. He felt that prayer was necessary in order to stay in touch with God's will for his life and ministry. He had much to pray about. And so do we. He wanted to be in conversation with God, his Father, and so should we. Prayer works as you work at prayer. And Jesus goes on to make an astonishing claim about God's response. Just to reiterate, we will receive, we will find, and the door will be opened. Promises seem extraordinary, don't they? Can this be true? Is God really that generous? Well, if he is, and if it is true... Why don't we pray with more enthusiasm? Jesus uses questions to reassure the disciples and, and us that this is indeed the generous nature of God, the God who receives our prayers. This is the character of God in the prayer interaction. He's not the grumpy, sleepy neighbour who only relents because of persistent lobbying. God gives generously and graciously and willingly and lovingly because he is our loving Father. To nail this truth down about God, Jesus reminds us that our own fathers are not likely to give us a snake when we ask for a fish or a scorpion when we ask for a, 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 an egg. It's an absurd question and we know it's absurd. That would never happen. Jesus uses this familiar example of parental love and care to remind us of a heavenly father who is infinitely greater than us. Parental love is something we should all resonate with. If we're not given snakes and scorpions by our fathers, instead of fishes and eggs, and Jesus is saying, and we are evil, then how much more likely is God, with his holy character, going to pour out good things on us? 
It's a crazy idea, isn't it, that God wouldn't do that? And I think exactly what, that's exactly what Jesus speaks in this way. It's totally inconceivable. If we, and we fall so far short of the holiness of love and God, would not consider doing such a terrible thing, how much more unlikely is it is that God would respond to our requests in such a way? If we can give good gifts, then of course God will give us good gifts. And then, then there's this stunning climax this is not about giving God giving us nice things. He does that too. But God is promising to give himself in the person of the Holy Spirit when we pray. Think about that. It's not a few loaves of bread. It's the Holy Spirit. God is giving himself to us. You can't compare the Holy Spirit with a fish or an egg. Holy Spirit's immeasurably greater than that. And we promise that this Spirit will do a mighty work in us. And we know that. The Spirit is the person of the Trinity that convicts us of sin, helps us to see the truth of God through Scripture, brings us to repentance, will reunite us with Christ, and the blessings go on, adopting us, justifying us, sanctifying us. John Newton called this amazing grace. You could almost say, wow, this is almost outrageous grace, but then grace is always outrageous, isn't it? Because it's free, it's none deserved. Forget about the fish and the egg here. This is God pouring himself out for us when we pray. And I think in this story, we're seeing the three persons of the Trinity in action. Jesus teaching us to pray, God receiving our prayers, and the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out to us. Well, how do we pray? Cherrybrook Presbyterian, community-wise and individually. As they say, this is where the rubber hits the road. The challenge for us is to review our prayer life, not just as individuals, but as a community as well. Are we here as a 4321 group of people? Four hymns or songs, three prayers, two Bible readings, and one sermon? Or do we feel the need for spiritual nourishment through prayer? Or is our prayer in community just a tick the box action? Does prayer fill us with a sense of joy as we communicate with God? Does prayer make us feel closer to God? Jesus had a robust, fulfilled prayer life. And to be honest, I feel that my prayer life, if I can call it life, is at times anemic and lacklustre and not rejoicing in a deepening relationship with God. So, how seriously do we take our prayer life? Do we really believe what Jesus promises? Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus is promising that we can have a confidence that God will indeed answer if we pray in the way he instructs. Jesus is so confident of this and wants to reinforce us that, that he actually repeats the same thing. Um, in verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Perhaps at times we worry that God doesn't listen. Well, what can we learn? Prayer starts with a focus on the holiness of God. Prayer addresses the needs of others as well as our own needs. Prayer is persistent, pushy, audacious, old. Prayer anticipates God answering 
prayer is ultimately spiritually refreshing. Let's aim to become persistent prayerful people here at Cherry Brook, both in community but at home on our own with God. Let's all bother God. Now, we haven't quite finished yet. You might think I have. But I've asked Tim to come up and share a couple of reflections on prayer and then we will finish. Um, I had a real-life example of this parable yesterday morning uh, as I was en route at ridiculous o'clock to a breakfast wedding in Wollongong that started at sunrise. Uh, One of my colleagues called me at, I think, the earliest phone call I have ever answered um, because his car wouldn't start. Uh, And I was on the motorway and I couldn't divert from Campbelltown where I was en route to Wollongong where I was going via Lidcombe, Um, my route was set. But uh, instead of giving up, uh, my friend lives with eight roommates, uh, and so he started knocking and knocking, uh, waking up his roommates one by one uh, until one of them would lend him his car. Uh, And he arrived at the wedding, of course, just as the bridesmaids were uh, walking down uh, onto the beach. it, it occurred to me how perfect and modern-day illustration of this parable that, uh, that is. Um, what does prayer do? Well, as, as we've put together prayer triplets this year, I've been reflecting on how my prayer life is enriched by my experience of praying with other people. I'm someone who's often uh, praying throughout the day, um, Prayer has become an instinctive reaction to me, to stress or to difficulty, um, even to transitions, moving from uh, taking the kids to school, to work, to lunch, to work, to preparing dinner and so forth. Um, But those are very short and not very reflective prayers, Uh, just kind of quick snippets of updating God on my day, which he already knows about, and asking for his support as I walk through it. As... I have had the opportunity to hear in a smaller setting others pray. I hear that they pray for things differently. Um, They pray for the things I ask them to pray for differently. I might ask for prayer that a particular burden would be eased, uh, that dinner would just magically appear um, on on the family dinner table. And, And instead, they pray that I might have perseverance to love my family well. Uh, They pray that I might be faithful. Uh, They pray that I might draw closer to God through the experience, perhaps, of uh, of preparing dinner that night. They they don't pray for the things I want, they pray for the things they think I might need. And of course, I need perseverance and faithfulness much more than I need dinner to magically appear. the praying with others during the day, um, we, we pray at uh, lunchtime on Tuesdays, forces me to slow down. It's different to just a quick, thanks God for lunch, it's been a rough morning, could re- really use some help this afternoon. It forces me to slow and to reflect as we spend 15 or 20 minutes sharing life and then 15, 20, 30 minutes, probably 15 or 20 minutes praying 
Um, as, as I pray, I find that it's less that God changes his mind, if God could ever do such a thing, although the Bible gives us examples where God appears, certainly, to change his mind. Uh, Abraham uh, prays that Sodom might be spared. Um, other prayers um, in the Bible where God appears to change his mind. Um, but my desire starts to be shaped more and more to be like Jesus. God, I have found, always answers my prayers, uh, often not with the answer that I want, uh, but always with the answer that I would want if I knew what he knew and loved how he loved. Um, often he answers the prayer that I didn't actually pray because I wasn't praying for what I really wanted, I was praying for a surface want. Um, and so, as I ask, I am given, but not what I asked for. As I seek, I find, but not what I was looking for. And as I knock, the door is opened, but sometimes it's a different door. Um, those are my reflections. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have promised to pour out your Holy Spirit on us, and indeed we've already received it as a gift totally undeserved that we can now approach your throne with the boldness that can only come because Christ dwells within us. Continue to pour out your spirit now to challenge us to be people of prayer, both individually and corporately, to engage with you, to bother you. And we thank you, Father, that you want to be bothered and that you love us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Um,